He began his Sermon on the Mount with what we call the Beatitudes. Then he taught us that we are salt and light, that we are the salt of the earth, that we are the light of the world. He taught us the way to treat people. He taught us the way to live out our faith. He taught us the way to live out our sexuality, the way to live out our marriage vows, the way you live out your promises, the way you live out justice based on love. I said two weeks ago that Jesus is basing all of his teaching on three facts. He is God. There is another place, which is why you don't have to hold on tightly to everything here. There's another place, and you're going to die, and your life will be evaluated. Then last week, we looked at Jesus on giving in Matthew 6, Jesus on praying, Jesus on fasting, and we we started to see a theme that was developing Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Don't do things for public acclamation or adoration. Your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. He wants to reward you. We talked about Jesus on goals, and I gave you a a model to use for that. We talked about Jesus on focus, and I said Jesus acted like he was in charge. Because he was, he is, he is in charge of your life. And I asked you this question, what do you need to let him be in charge of? What do you need to let him be in charge of in your life? Giving, goals, focus, prayer? I said, whatever you decide, that will be the beginning of change in your life. Matthew chapter 7 is where we are today and where we will conclude the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, the title could easily be Messy Spirituality. A number of years ago, a Christian leader named Mike Iaconelli wrote a book called Messy Spirituality. He writes, spirituality is, is not a formula. It is not a test. It is a relationship. Spirituality is not about competency. It is about intimacy. Spirituality is not about perfection. It is about connection. Spirituality is not about being fixed. It's about God being present in the mess of our unfixedness. Messy spirituality is a description of of the Christianity most of us live and that few of us admit, he writes. It is an attempt to break through the religious wall of secrecy and legitimize a faith which is unfinished incomplete and inexperienced. Messy spirituality is a celebration of a discipleship which is under construction. Matthew 7. Jesus on not pretending. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Every once in a while, I'll pick up one of these little daily bread books and I'll, I'll flip through and, and find something that I think is very relevant. And I found this just the other day. 
We were in line at the ice cream store when I noticed him. His face bore the marks of too many fights, a crooked nose, and some scars. His clothes were rumpled, though clean. I stepped between him and my children, using my back to erect a wall. The first time he spoke, I didn't hear him clearly, and so I just nodded to acknowledge him. I scarcely made eye contact with him. Because my wife wasn't, wasn't with me, he thought I was a single parent and gently said, it's hard raising them alone, isn't it? Something in his tone made me turn to look at him. Only then did I notice his children. I listened to him tell me how long his wife had been gone. His soft words contrasted with his hard exterior. Once again, I had failed to see beyond outward appearances. Jesus encountered people whose outward appearance could have turned him away. Yet he saw the heart needs and met them. A story of pretending to be better than other people. A story of of judging and missing the point. And Jesus says, oh, please, don't do that. Don't do that. If you do that, then the measure that you use, it's going to be measured back to you. Nobody wants to be judged according to your standards. Nobody wants to be assessed by your measurements. They want to be loved and understood. They want a smile and an eye-to-eye conversation, just like that man in line wanted. He continues to, to pull back the layers of our very messy spirituality. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank or to the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a a plank, there's a log in your own eye. There's a big board protruding from your face. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus says, do the work you have to do on yourself because only if you do the work that you have to do on yourself can you do anything to help anybody else really, anything to really reach out and love to another person. I used to want to be a a Christian counselor, and, and I did a lot of Christian counseling a number of years ago. And then I went to, uh, to school, and I studied marriage and family ministry. And in studying marriage and family ministry, one of the things they did was they made us take the, the planks out of our eyes. They made us take the logs out of our eyes. And, and I studied, and I, I pondered, and I read, and I pulled out some big pieces of wood that were sticking out of my face. And then when I was finished... I thought, oh, the poor people who came to me before I did this, I didn't really help them a whole lot, did I? I was trying to take the specks out of their eyes before I was taking the big logs out of my eyes. You have to do that work first for yourself, and then you'll be surprised how how God can use you in a compassionate way to enter somebody else's life space and really help them. Turns out 
I was told between services that before technology, when they were sawing a big log, they would actually dig a pit and they would lay the log over the pit and somebody would lay down in the pit and they'd be sawing from underneath and somebody would be sawing from the top. And when they were sawing from underneath, they would get sawdust in their eyes. This person told me that that's where the name Sawyer comes from. That's where the name Pittman comes from, from that position. It reminded me of an, of an old joke about two brothers who go in to a Navy recruiter's office and they want to get into the military. And the Navy recruiter says, well, do you have any skills, young man? And the first young brother said, well, I'm a pilot. He said, oh, that's, that's great. We need pilots in the Navy, son. Go sit over there. And the other brother came and sat down. And he said, well, do you have any, any skills, son? He said, well, I, I'm a woodcutter. I, I cut wood. He said, well, I'm sorry, son. We don't need anybody who cuts wood in the Navy. He said, well, you took my brother. He said, well, yeah, he's a pilot. He said, if I don't cut it, he don't pilot. <laughs> Thank you. God bless you. You are dismissed. Take the plank out of your eye. Do the work, Jesus says, that you have to do to be the person that I've called you to be, and then you can help somebody else. Jesus, on being wise and still not being critical. Do not give dogs what is sacred or holy. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. This has been a difficult passage, brief passage, but it's been difficult for many centuries to interpret. Well, I like what Calvin said about this, John Calvin. Um, he said, this is like 500 years ago, he said, this means if there is a group of people who is just resolute against hearing about me, and they are so defensive, and, and they don't want to know anything about God and faith and life, he says, you don't have to go there. Just let them be. There's no way you're going to break through such a, a heavy wall of judgment, a heavy wall of anger. And he said, don't worry about that. You don't have to go there. And it, it raises this issue of how God leads us into do, he leads us into doing ministry with certain groups of people, and, and he gives us opportunities. And then there are other opportunities where you know, somebody really, at that point, they're not ready. Could be a whole group of people. Could even be a relative that you've tried before, but they are just angry, and they don't want to hear it. And he says, look, you don't have to go there. It's okay. You don't have to get hurt unduly in the process. Now, there are times when you do have to take risks, and, and you know that. And there are times when you do have to just take that shot but he says, be careful. There are times when, when you don't have to do that. Jesus, on what God will do for you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And what Jesus is talking about is God puts desires in your heart. I believe one of the, the, the most overlooked aspects of God's will is the desire God puts in your heart to do something or the passion that God has given you 
to do something or to accomplish something. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. I heard a story the other day about a young man, and he was working right up here at Hilltop in a men's clothing store. He was 19 years old, and he died this week from injuries resulting from a, a car accident. And I could hardly believe it when, when they told me this yesterday. Um, he was just, just such a nice young man and a Christian young man. And they said, well, did you hear this story that we've been telling about him? And I said, no, I, I didn't hear the story. And it turns out that at Christmas time, this young Christian man, he had saved up $800 because he really wanted a new suit. He wanted to give himself the gift of a, of a new suit for Christmas. And so he saved up all that money and he was going to do it. And then he heard about a family where there was a job loss and, and there was no money at Christmas time. And something tugged at his heart. And so he took that $800 and he spent it on that family. And I, I know in his heart he was, he was happy to do that, that he felt somehow that he was blessed to be able to do that. So he had no money for a suit. The week after, somebody walked in to that men's store. And the year before, they had purchased two custom-made suits at a price of approximately $3,000 per suit. Those suits probably did not have holes in the pocket where chains <laughs> would fall out. And, and this man with the two $3,000 suits, custom-made, said, you know, I want to get something different. I want to have something new. He's a businessman, and, and he makes enough money to do that. I want to get something. He goes, take these suits that I just got. I only wore them a couple times. Just give them to somebody. And here's three shirts to go with it. And they exactly fit this young man who had given away all his money to this family for Christmas. And so he gave away $800. He got back Two suits worth six, plus three shirts worth a thousand. Really fancy, custom-made shirts. It was just like God said. He knows how to give good gifts to those who ask him, to those who love him, to those who are doing what he's doing in the world. And this is not a formula. Spirituality is not formulaic. And this is, this is not, if any of you run out and... and and you know, try to give your suits away to get new suits, I think you're doing the wrong thing. Unless it's a 48 regular and you want to give them to me. <laughs> it's not a formula. It's an attitude. It's an attitude of, of I live in this world and I don't have to hold on to what I have. Because I serve a God who says, no matter what happens, he is going to take care of me and he's going to be there for me. And it is a joy and a privilege to serve this God who came as Jesus Christ and told me how to live. And that young man whose funeral will be this week, he knew that. And he believed it with all his heart. Jesus says, look, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. 
Jesus said, that's the whole book. That's it. If you just do to others the way you want them to do to you, you got it. You understand the depth of the passion that my Father and I and the Holy Spirit have for you. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. It's easy to get down the road of destruction. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. I like the way the message translation puts these verses. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff. Even though crowds of people do, the way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. Again, he's talking about focus, total attention. The way to life is vigorous. It requires focus. You know who helps you to do that? The Holy Spirit helps you to do that. The Holy Spirit's job is to help you to think the way God thinks and to act the way God acts. In that Nicene Creed, it's a, it's a revision of the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is a lot shorter. It's a lot tighter. But there were questions that came up. And, and one thing they were trying to clarify in the Nicene Creed was the Holy Spirit. And so when you read the Nicene Creed, there's this whole section about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit and God and Jesus are all to be worshipped and glorified. The whole idea of the Trinity is crystal clear. One God, three expressions of personhood. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it's the job of the Holy Spirit to remind you of the things that Jesus said and to, to help your mind to be changed, transformed, as Paul writes in Romans. And then when your mind is changed and transformed, then you, you move out in a different way into life. And you go, I don't have to hold on to anything. I know I'm going to another place. I know God will take care of me. I know who I am. I know where I'm going. I know what I have to do. Jesus talks about knowing who to follow. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. He says, you're going to know who to follow. You're going to know if it's, a, if it's a boondoggle. All you have to do is watch people. If, if it looks like they're pulling the wool over your eyes, they are. If it doesn't feel right, it probably isn't right. So many of the people, so many of the, the loving, amazing people who joined Jim's, Jim Jones's People's Temple knew something wasn't right. I saw interviews of people afterwards, good people, Christian people, 
And they knew there were things that weren't right. They just didn't feel right. But they just kept going and going and going until they ended up in Guyana. It's, it's fairly obvious who to follow because you see the good that emanates from their leadership. You see the good that comes out of, out of what they're, they're saying. Jesus talked about institutionalized religion too. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Spirituality is a relationship. It's a connection. It's intimacy. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus says, you want to you want to play religious games? You want to use my name? You want to do this and that and, and, and put on a good show and it's all for who you are and it's all to make yourself feel better. It's to glorify yourself. You can do that till the cows come home if you want to. Doesn't mean I know you and it doesn't mean you know me, does it? And, and someday people are going to be called to account for what they did in his name without knowing him. It was all for themselves. And he doesn't play those games. He never has. He never will. It's a relationship. It's listening. It's reading these words and saying, if he said that, then that's what I'm going to build my life on. I'm going to really do that. I'm going to really believe that. And then Jesus gets to the bottom line. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Did the storm come? The storm came. Did it beat on your life? The house is your life. It beat on your life. It pounded on your life. But your life didn't go down because you built your life on the rock, on the foundation of these words, these truths that he has given you in this message. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. You see, there's, there's hearing and putting them into practice. There's hearing and not putting them into practice. It's like somebody building a house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, beat on your life. The storms of life came and beat you down, and it fell. Your life fell apart with a crash because you didn't build it on the right things. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. That word carries with it also the sense of power. He taught as one who had power and authority. He taught as one who, who knew what he was talking about. You could feel it. You could feel his heartbeat when he was talking. You knew that he believed everything he was saying and he was basing it on an authority that was far from this world. They were amazed at his teaching because he had, 
He taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Not as just saying the same things over and over again. And after a while, it just gets boring. The crowds were amazed at his teaching. Let's stop there. The crowds were amazed at his teaching. We started this message, the Sermon on the Mount, with crowds. Remember, at the very beginning, there were crowds. And there were disciples. The crowds were amazed. You know something about being amazed? You can be amazed. It doesn't have to change one thing about the way you live tomorrow. You could be amazed at these words and go, wow, that's some powerful stuff he was saying. And you don't have to do diddly squat different tomorrow. Diddly squat's not in the Bible. I just use that. You don't have to do anything different with your life. Whoa, this, this speech is an amazing speech. I was even moved at times. I even shed a tear a couple times. I felt something. But it doesn't mean that you're going to change. A disciple is a person who wants to embrace a very messy spirituality and follow him and change over the course of time, removing logs, understanding what it means to, to really do good things in the world, to glorify him. A disciple's different than the crowds. Don't miss that the crowd was amazed, but they didn't have to change. To change, you have to really want to follow him. Throughout this sermon, Jesus is really saying, do you really understand life? Who are you going to believe? You're going to believe the government? Who are you going to believe? You're going to believe the philosophers? Who are you going to believe? And he's saying, how are you going to live? Now that you know this, are you going to let go of your tight grip on the stuff that you have? And are you going to say, I don't have to hold this anymore because I know I'm going to a different place. I know there's a treasure in heaven waiting for me. That's where my heart is. A few weeks ago, a brilliant flash illuminated the sky over a section of Siberia near the Kazakhstan border. NASA scientists say that a a 70-ton space rock hurtled out of the sky at 40,000 miles an hour, exploding over the Ural Mountains. In its 32-second terminal plunge, the meteor left a contrail as a twirling sign that it had found a home on Earth. Near where this gigantic meteor went down, there's a little church. The Church of the Transfiguration, it's called. And people were actually having a service at the church. A bright light spilled in through every window as the giant rock streaked by. One man later said, it was like a new sun was being born. And he said, this gives us reason to think. Is the purpose of our life just to raise a family and die? Or is it to live eternally? It was a reason. The meteor coming and the light and the explosion and and all those things. He said, 
it was a reason for people on earth to look up, to look up at God. And another man in the same town put it this way. A meteor fell. So what? Who knows what can fall out of the sky? Two men saw the same thing. Two men saw a flash of light. They saw something amazing. But only one man saw it in a way that pointed him back to God, that pointed him back to faith, that pointed him back to saying there's something so much bigger going on in this universe that we live in. Jesus is basing all of his teaching on three facts. Don't ever forget these. He is God. There is another place. We are all going to die, and our lives will be evaluated. Throughout this sermon, Jesus is really saying, do you understand life? Do you really understand life? Who are you going to believe? How are you going to live? Spirituality is not a formula. It is not a test. It is a relationship. Spirituality is not about competency. It is about intimacy. Spirituality is not about perfection. It is about connection. Messy spirituality is a celebration of a discipleship which is under construction. Jesus has called you to that kind of discipleship. Dear Heavenly Father, these words, they astound us, they amaze us. Your Son spoke so clearly into a culture that was confused by political agendas and philosophical agendas and religious agendas, much like the world we live in today. So Father, help us to hear him. Help us not to be just amazed, but help us to want to follow him. Oh, Heavenly Father, may we see the light that calls us and may we know that he has asked us to be a light in this world. We give our, our lives, Father, to your holy hands today. For Jesus' sake and in Jesus' name we pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.